Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. Our guest this week is an ESPN insider. His popular magazine, Phil Still's College Football Preview, is in stores now. He's Phil Still. Phil, we've been really excited to have you back this year, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, a real pleasure. Always a lot of fun talking football, especially in the great state of Alabama. <laughs> Before we get into the season, we want to start with you. We had a listener submit a question, and they wanted to know how the College Football Preview magazine ever came to fruition. Were, were you a fan of any particular team? Were you just naturally a stats and analytics guy? H- how did this all begin and turn into what it is now? Well, you know, way back in 1982, I started writing a football newsletter. And what I would do is I would buy all the preseason football magazines that were out there. And at that time, there was probably 20 of them. And I would write down every note from every magazine on my team pages. And what happened was at the end of the year, I had about 25 names for each roster that was out there. In other words, they just covered the top players on the teams, you know, players that were returning. And then the straw that broke the camel's back was uh, Mo Elwanabi won the Outland Award. And that year, I looked at my BYU pages where I took down notes from every magazine and not a single one had mentioned him because he was a Juco coming into the season. At that point, I said, you know what, i got to start compiling the information myself. So for a couple of years, I would go get the team rosters and put every player on the page, write down all my stats, all my notes, and come up with a, a magazine page that, or a page that looked like what the magazine pages are now. And someone walked to my office and said, why don't you try to put that into a magazine form? And so I figured I'm doing the work anyway. We'll give it a shot. 25 years ago, we put out that first one. It was only 180 pages. It was on black and white newsprint. No regional covers. I had 12 little pictures of guys on the cover for my my regional thing. But once people got their hands on it, they needed this type of information because it had every player on the team as opposed to just a few players on the team. And we gave the same amount of coverage to the smaller teams that we did to the big ones. It grew and grew, and now we're up to 352 pages, full color. I talked to 110 of the 130 head coaches this year, and uh, we put we get the same amount of coverage on Troy that we do on Alabama. Two full pages, all the information, same spot every page, which makes it easy, even easier and quicker reference than if you had the Internet at your fingertips because you know exactly where to look on each page for whatever piece of information you're looking for. Hey, Phil, Brad Canning here. It's a pleasure to talk with you again this year, and congrats on 25 years with the magazine. Uh, I'm happy that I've been a part of it for over a decade as a reader, and I tell you, it can never be long enough. Uh, I'm sure your editor disagrees or yourself, but uh, it's always great content, and uh, we appreciate the work. And 25 years of anything is a long time, and and to do something consistent like that and be at the top of the, the game like you are, I mean, that's a great accomplishment. So congrats to you there. Well, I really appreciate that. And it's a good thing I started the magazine when I was 10 years old. There you go. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so, you know, we never want to revisit sour moments, but unfortunately uh, we do have to revisit the past to hopefully not experience it again this coming season. And uh, when we look back at, you know, how Alabama lost the way they did against Clemson, you know, and then along with the staff turnover again and the players that they lost on defense, does this year's team have those pieces to redeem themselves? And do you put much stock into that revenge factor for this year's team? Uh, I absolutely do. In fact, you know, you go back to last year when Alabama entered the postseason, the talk was, is this the greatest team of all time? And I think the players might have bought into that a little bit and uh, uh, maybe lost their edge. You look at the Georgia game, they trailed 28-14. to 14. 
after jumping out to a big lead against Oklahoma. They sort of relaxed the rest of the game, and Oklahoma made a game of it at the end. And then after a good first quarter against Clemson, once things went bad and they faced a little adversity, all of a sudden the season went way south. This year, I think when they had to the postseason, no matter how good they do during the regular season, Coach Saban will make sure they've got that 44-16 to 16 chip planted firmly on the shoulder. And Alabama always loses a lot of defensive players every year, and you say, well, how do they replace them? But last year they only had three returning starters on defense. The secondary, the entire secondary had to be replaced. This year, six returning starters on defense. So it's actually a little bit more veteran of a defensive unit. Offensively, clearly they're going to contend for best offense in the country. Tua Tungavailoa, quarterback. You look at the depth they have at running back. Trey Sanders and Najee Harris were both my number one rated running backs coming out of high school. Uh, best receiving core in college football, highlighted by a Blitnikoff Award winner and Jerry Judy. And an offensive line that I rate number six in the country. Plus, they're a complete team. They have my number 18 rated special teams. And then you factor in the schedule. Two tough games this year, two real tough games. I mean, naturally, playing in the SEC, it's never easy. But I would say at Texas A&M and College Station. And then, of course, the Iron Bowl in Jordan-Hare, where Alabama lost the last time they played there. But add it all up, I've got Alabama a double-digit favorite in every single game this year. And I think that 44-16 chip on their shoulder in the postseason is going to help them get back and recapture the title. They do open the season with Duke in Atlanta. We know Duke lost their their star quarterback in Daniel Jones. Is there any chance at the end of the year that we will be able to look back and view that game as maybe a resume-building win? Well, here's the one one chance, I'll say, and that is that the last time David Cutcliffe uh, lost a, a top quarterback to the NFL draft was way back when he lost Peyton Manning when he was at Tennessee. And the next year, after losing the throwing quarterback, Peyton Manning, they went to a running quarterback the next year uh, with T. Martin, and they ended up going 13-0 and uh, with more of a running team. So he can adapt the offense to make the changes. I thought the defense underperformed last year. They got eight players back. But bottom line, no, not really. I've, I've got Alabama a 31-point favorite in that game, and I don't think it's going to be much of a test. So sticking with Alabama and their roster, is there a question mark position that would concern you going into this season if you're Nick Saban? Definitely not quarterback and not running back for me, not receiver, not offensive line, defensive. Uh, no. <laughs> I've, got, I've got every unit ranked in my top ten. So, I mean, uh, with the special teams number 18, I guess if you're looking for – one area that's not among the top ten in the country would be special teams, but I'm pretty happy with what they have. Uh, they're going to need to stay healthy, I think, at the linebacker position. We saw a couple of years ago where the linebackers got banged up, and that's when they ended up losing to Auburn uh, in that game. They're going to have to stay healthy because I don't know about the, the depth at linebacker would probably be my biggest concern. I will say kicker is always a concern in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> okay, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> If you ever get that question again, that's the d- default answer is always kicker in Tuscaloosa. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, the top two programs in the conference are Alabama and Georgia. What separates those two, and what areas would you give Georgia maybe an edge over Alabama going into this year? Well, not much separates them, as we saw in the SEC championship game last year. Georgia led that thing 28-14 to in the second half. Uh, now, as far as Georgia having an edge, I would take Tua over from. I'm going to give Georgia a slight edge at the, at the running back spot. DeAndre, DeAndre Swift is a proven 
uh, running back. I thought he underachieved a little bit last year, getting 1,000 yards and 6.4 yards per carry. I think he can live more up to his potential this year and be one of the tops in the country. Uh, Bama clearly rates the edge at the receiver position. I'm going to give a slight edge on the offensive line to Georgia. I rate them the number two offensive line in the country with Kinley, Wilson, and Thomas. I've got Bama number six. That would be a slight, slight edge there. And maybe uh, those would be the only areas that I would rate Georgia would be the uh, running backs. I'd give them a slight edge, and then the, uh, the offensive line a slight edge. Bringing up Alabama's running back situation, that's typically, and and going into this year too, a position Alabama's normally not concerned about. And I've been on the Najee Harris for Heisman train basically since that letter of intent was, uh, the ink was dry. So do you see a scenario where Najee can make a run at a Heisman trophy this year so I can win some money in Vegas? (laughs) Well, the first player he's got to beat out is Tua Tungavailoa (laughs) at the quarterback position. So he's going to steal some of your votes, I think, right off the bat. And uh, Harris would have to have a fantastic year to overshadow him. But the one area where I think uh, Harris would have an, an advantage is the fact that I don't know if it's going to be as much of a running back by committee this year. Remember last year, uh, there were four different running backs that got over 50 carries on the season. Damian Harris, Najee Harris, Josh Jacobs, two of them are gone. Trey Sanders will get some action, but I think uh, Najee Harris is going to get the bulk of the running back carry, so that could be his plus, but uh, he has to get past two of first of all. Uh, looking throughout the conference, is there maybe a team in the SEC that can turn a corner this season? Is there is there someone nobody's talking about that has a chance to maybe rise from mediocrity and compete for a division championship? Yeah, I think the one team that could jump up, they mean like a Kentucky last year when they sort of came out of the blue. And, and this, this year, I'm looking at the Missouri Tigers, and it's not necessarily because of the talent on hand, although they have talent. I mean, you look at the quarterback position, Kelly Bryant's a proven winner at Clemson. They've got Larry Roundtree in the backfield. The offensive line has got uh, two NFL-caliber guys in Wallace Sims and Durant. Defensively, they're, they've got a, a star player at each level. Jordan Elliott up front on the D-line. Gale Garrett, a linebacker. DeMarcus Acey, a cornerback. So they're a good team. They're a top-25 team. But look at their schedule this year. They open up with Wyoming on the road. They'll be favored. They play West Virginia at home favored. West Virginia lost a lot from last year. They play Southeast Missouri at home. Favored. South Carolina. Well, they almost beat South Carolina in the rain on the road last year. Now they get them at home. They'll be favored in that game. Troy at home. uh, Favored. Mississippi at home. Favored. At Vanderbilt. Could very well be favored in that game. At Kentucky. Remember, they lost to Kentucky on that play with no time left last year. And while this one's on the road, Kentucky lost most of their star players from last year. This is a Missouri team that potentially could be 8-0 when they travel to face Georgia on November the 9th. And if you watch that Missouri-Georgia game last year, I know Georgia won by 14 points, but they got two return scores. Missouri actually had a 26-18 first down edge, and I thought they outplayed Georgia a little bit at the line of scrimmage. It was that game that had me putting some doubts into Georgia uh, for the rest of the season. Now, Georgia got better as the season went on, and I think Georgia's line play will be better this year. But that would be the could be the shocking game would be an 8-0 Missouri upsetting Georgia. And if they did that, then you'd have to pretty much hand them the East because they've handled Florida the last two years. And uh, Tennessee is a game they get at home after beating the Vols 50-17 to in Neyland Stadium last year. So let's stick with that concept when we look across the country. You know, who's going to be that surprise team this year? When you were on the show last year with us, you uh, 
you threw out Notre Dame, you laid a case, you thought that they could make it through their regular season schedule unscathed, and lo and behold, Phil, uh, look what happened. So let's get you on record here. Give me a give me a surprise team or two to, to keep an eye on across the country this year. All right, I'm going to give you a surprise team, and then I'm going to give you a most improved team. Right. Now, my surprise team is a team that's not in the top ten at the start of the year that I think has a shot of making the playoff like Notre Dame last year. This one's going to surprise you guys. The Utah Utes. Utah's in the Pac-12. They've won seven and nine games the last two years, and now you're probably just scratching your head going, this guy's lost his marbles. But here's why I like Utah this year. Last year they lost their starting quarterback, Tyler Hundley, with five games to go. They lost their star running back, Zach Moss, five games to go in the season. They still made it to the Pac-12 title game, very nearly knocked off Washington, and then they had a bad second half in the rain against Northwestern when they turned the ball over five times in the third quarter and lost that. So a five-loss season, but it's not all despair here. Huntley's back. Moss is back. The replacements are back. The receiving core could be the best Whittingham's put on the field. The offensive line is solid, but this is SEC country, so you guys will understand this. They have the best defensive line in college football. If you have a great defensive line, you're going to win a lot of games. Bradley and Nay, Penasini, Fotu, they actually go 11 deep on the D-line. They've got six or seven NFL-caliber defensive linemen, all with experience. They've got, in my mind, the best defensive line in the country. It's Sack Lake City. They have in a Manny Bowen at linebacker, who's what I call a VHT or very highly touted. He was a starter at Penn State for two years. Now he steps in here as one of those transfer uh, linebackers to join Francis Bernard. A shutdown corner in Jalen Johnson and outstanding free safety in Julian Blackman. Then their schedule gets easier. Last year they had to play the top four teams out of the north. This year, Oregon drops off the schedule. Stanford drops off the schedule. USC is one of their toughest road games, but they manhandled USC last year and have better talent. And Washington's their other tough road game this year. But Washington only has two returning starters on defense, and they are beatable. Add it all up. I think Utah could be that surprise team at the end of the year that's not in the top 10. Heck, they might not even be in the top 25, mm-hmm. yet I think they do have a shot at making the playoff. Now, my most improved list There are teams which had a losing record last year that I expect big improvement this year. An example, my number one most improved team last year was the Florida Gators. Florida went from 4-7 in 2017 all the way up to number 7 in the final polls. Well, this year, my number one most improved team in the country is the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And Nebraska opened up last year 0-6. But keep in mind, Scott Frost inherited a pass-happy team with an offense built for the pass. They had pass-blocking offense alignment. Uh, and mostly receivers didn't have the great running backs and tried to incorporate the spread offense. Well, they averaged 23 points per game their first six games. However, 38 points per game their last six games. They've got a quarterback that fits the offense perfectly, and Adrian Martinez, who was a true frost last year, he's now a soft. The offense is in the second year of the blocking schemes. This is going to be an offense that resembles the second half of last year even better. Defensively, it's not the black shirt defense of old. They allowed 430 yards per game the last two years. But I think they'll be improved enough with six starters back. And then, much like my uh, surprise team, Utah, the schedule gets easier. 
They toss Michigan and Michigan State off the schedule. They don't have to play Penn State. Well, the only big team from the Big East, Big Ten East that they play is Ohio State. They went into Ohio State last year in Columbus and nearly knocked off the Buckeyes, only losing by five. And the top three teams in the West that they face, Iowa, Wisconsin, Northwestern, they get all three of them at home. So this is a Nebraska team that won just four games last year that I've got winning the Big Ten West, getting to the Big Ten title game, and potentially double-digit wins. Sounds like Brad needs a refund on his Najee Harris Vegas ticket and needs to put that on the Utes. I'm sold. I'm sold on the Utes. I had I had a tweet about the Utes the other day about how I thought they could be good, not as high as Phil, and I also I'm pretty high on Baylor being a big improved team this year too as well. And Coach Rule's in in agreement with you. In fact, I'll tell you a little story about Coach Rule. Last year, you know they were coming off a two win season, and just about to hang up the phone. I usually talk to the coaches for about an hour and uh, go over every player on the team. And his last words to me after I said, well, Coach, thanks for it. He goes, Phil, we're going to make a bowl game this year. And I'm like, oh, okay, Coach. And I didn't put him on my most improved list. I'm like, you know what, I don't think they can win. And then sure enough, what do they do? They make a bowl and they get to seven wins. And this year when I talked to Coach Rule, I'm like, okay, what do you got for me this year? And he's like, we're going to contend. He's like, we're going to contend in the Big 12. Uh, I, I could see us up there. So he, the, the coach agrees with you on the Baylor pick. He called his shot. Does the opposite ring true for anyone? Do you see a potential fall from grace this year for any of the top programs nationally? Yeah, there was a team that made the top 10 last year. I think it's going to take a drop. And it's not because of the talent level, ironically. And it is the Washington State Cougars. And here's why. Washington State has got a great quarterback coming in and Gabe Gubrod. He was, uh, there's a Peyton Award for the, it's like the Heisman for the FCS. He was a finalist twice for it at Eastern Washington. And he comes in, he'll be the starter. So they've got a great transfer quarterback again. This year's team is just as talented as last year's squad. But it's a schedule I don't like. Last year they played four Pac-12 road games, and three of them came against teams that had losing records. They only played one team on the road that made a bowl last year in the Pac-12. Well, this year, they play five Pac-12 road games, and they're against Utah, Arizona State, Oregon, who I think is going to win the North, California, and Washington in the Apple Cup. So a much tougher road schedule in the Pac-12, I think, has Washington State dropping from the number 10 in the polls where they were last year uh, down to uh, outside the top 25 this year. So, Phil, last year when we talked, we threw out the hypothetical of a couple coaching names that weren't at Division One schools that used to be. And we got your opinion on when and if they ever may return. Well, Les Miles came true, and you said he wanted to get back in. We had Matt Brown. You know, we had Hugh Freeze. So if we foreshadow a year ahead, where's Urban Meyer going to be? And what about any other names out there that may be back into coaching? You know, I personally think Urban Meyer's going to re- uh, stay retired. Uh, you look at the health problems he's had. You look at the fact he can get some pretty lucrative stuff off the field. Coaching is a high-pressure job, and uh, I personally think he's going to stay retired. Not a lot of folks think he's coming back, but uh, I think he's got a pretty good got a pretty good where he's at right now. And, and with the health problems he's had, I could see him sitting out. Last question: We'll let you leave. Just getting back to the season for a second. The LSU players and coaches have been pretty vocal in the last week. I think it's pretty obvious that their objective this season is to get over that hump and beat Alabama after losing 29-0 in Baton Rouge last year. Do they pose the biggest threat to Alabama in the regular season? 
Yes, by far. Now, let me explain something. They've got There are three other teams in the SEC West that rank in my top ten talent-wise. LSU, Auburn, and Texas A&M. The reason LSU's the team to challenge Alabama really comes down to schedule. When you look at Auburn this year, they have to play at Texas A&M, at Florida, at LSU, and then in Jordan-Hare, they play both Jordan, Georgia and Alabama. That right now, in Vegas, Auburn's an underdog in five games. Texas A&M, well, the top three teams in the country are Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson. Guess what? A&M plays all three. And they also get a nice trip at LSU, which is the week after playing between the hedges against Georgia. So I think the schedule eliminates those guys. Now let's look at LSU. Last year, I thought LSU was going to be an underdog in five or six games during the course of the year, and they were an underdog in five. They had an inexperienced team, a brutal schedule, yet they got to 10 wins. And Joe Burrow didn't join the team until late last year. Uh, so he was mostly a game manager. But at the end of the year, all of a sudden, Joe Burrow's throwing a ball all over the yard and turned into a guy that can win football games for you. Had they not lost to Texas A&M in seven overtimes and they thought they won that game, they would have been 11-2 and two last year. They go from inexperience, they were one of the least experienced in the country last year, to eight returning starters on offense, eight returning starters on defense, a vastly improved Joe Burrow, a new offense for him as well. Defensively, almost everybody back from uh, last year, with the exception of Devin White and Greedy Williams, but they've got the best secondary in the country, which could match up well against Alabama, and they're solid in all positions. Now, they're going to have to get over the hump of Alabama, which they have not had great success doing. In fact, they've only scored uh, 10 points the last three years against Alabama. But if there is a threat in the West, it would be LSU. And you know, to be honest, the LSU players, I don't think, fear Alabama when they take them on. They're in great respect. They know they've been losing, but I don't think there's a fear in their hearts. All right, he's Phil Still. His college football preview magazine is out now. Purchase your copy. We have ours. Phil, thank you so much for your time. We hope to talk to you again next year. Yeah, thank you, Phil. Hey, sounds great. Sounds great. I always enjoy talking football with you guys. A lot of fun tonight. All right, thank you so much, man. All right, Brad, I know you're thrilled about that one. You kind of fanboy over Phil. Oh, I mean, it's like talking to a, a Greek god, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, he's got a Ron Swanson-level mustache, and he's got a knowledge of football that, you know, one can only hope to have. And uh, We're just honored every year to be able to talk to him now. And uh, you guys, if you don't have his magazine yet – uh, you're already kind of slacking off. Go out there and get your copy. Really good stuff. Phil was on point last year, and I think it's safe to say with a 25-year track record so far, it's probably going to be on point again this year. But before we go, the biggest story in the state of Alabama had nothing to do with football. It had nothing to do with, like, a corrupt politician. This is new territory, right? The, yeah, the we should have asked Phil about this, this little story. <laughs> <laughs> The meth. Let's get a, a quick take on the meth gators. For for anyone who doesn't know, basically it was the police, right? That yeah. that had asked people in Alabama <laughs> to stop flushing their drugs because they're going to create alligators addicted to meth. Yeah, but see, here's the thing. I will take. I, I bet meth squirrels a seven point favorite over <laughs> meth gator, though. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this too. Uh, okay, so. When you're on meth, what happens to your teeth? Mm-hmm. You, you kind of you lose your teeth, right? Mm-hmm. So do the meth gators lose their teeth? 
So this could actually end up being a positive, right? Yeah, but they can gum the hell out of you. All <laughs> Just gum you to death? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see them try to eat spaghetti. <laughs> well, and uh, also, I thought that the Alabama Meth Gators, it sounded, that sounds like a minor league baseball team. Look, I mean, the Trash Pandas was an excellent name, but I'm here to tell you, we got to add another team in the state <laughs> or change the Barons to the damn Meth Gators. Yeah. I don't know how we make this happen, but <laughs> damn it, we this needs to happen. Uh, all right. Well, we just wanted to hit on that for a second. Brad, do you have anything else? Oh, that's it. So it was a, it was a great show up until we went off the rails, thanks to the old Meth Gators. <laughs> well, it's on AL.com. I'm sure most of you have heard of it by now. If you don't believe us, I swear this is a true story in Alabama. Google it. Go to AL.com. It's, it is astonishing, for sure. But uh, this has been the Roll Bama Roll podcast. Roll Tide.